Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everybody. I'm James Kleiman, the managing editor at Housing Wire, with the latest installment of the Housing Wire Daily Podcast, where our editors and reporters discuss the most compelling stories and sources that they are covering. Today, my guest is senior mortgage reporter Georgia Cromrai to talk a little bit about what's going on in DC housing policy and also the FHA's staffing issues. Before we dive in, here is a quick word from our sponsor. Why should you price your jumbo loans with PennyMac TPO? Is it the same great service you've come to expect with their conventional loans? Yes. Is it the competitive pricing they provide? Yes. Is it the fact that after closing, they don't sell off your borrowers so that you know they are in good hands? That would also be a yes. Get more information or price a jumbo AUS loan today at tpo.pennymac.com. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender. NMLS ID number 35953. Loans not available in New York. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. Georgia, welcome to the podcast. You are not in Vermont today. You are down in the nation's capital. Tell me what's going on. Why, what's the occasion? That's right. So I'm here for the NAREP conference. That's the National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals. It's, um, it's, a, it's an enormous trade association. It's the largest business group Um, of Hispanic professionals in the country, 40,000 strong. And um, it has been, so far, it's been a very energetic conference, a very um, lively, lively conference. Um, A lot of, you know, a lot of relationship building. People are really happy to see each other in person, I think, after after a tough couple of years. So yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun so far. Is this the first big housing policy conference in person since the pandemic? Well, I think I think MBA's conference um, last September in San Diego. You know, I'm not I'm not sure if it had that this the same sense of like we're all back together again in the same room and and you know this is the first time in a in a long time that I've seen like a conference hall um, entirely full, like an audience entirely full where, where people are not sitting every other seat, but you know, the, the first like 12 rows are, are totally stacked full. Um, I, I think, I think this may be the first conference, um, mortgage conference, you know, I, where I've seen that in the past couple of years. Gotcha. Well, it's a, it's a new dawn. It's a new day. Um, COVID of course is behind us, right? <laughs> uh, maybe not, but let's, um, let, let's talk a little bit about some of the issues, some of the main subjects that were, were really talked about uh, at the NAREP conference in D.C., I have to imagine that they would be talking a lot about widening the credit box. I, I know that some of the major stakeholders were there. Can you maybe, Georgia, talk a little bit about some of the major issues for NAREP as, as a housing organization, as a lobbyist? Yeah. So, um, so that, so that's interesting. Um, you know, I think I might answer that question by kind of talking about the major players that are there and, you know, some of the major, um, players that are, that are not there that I was, that I, some, some notable absences, um, you know, Michael DeVito, um, Freddie Mac CEO, um, 
did a fireside chat with um, NAREP CEO Gary Acosta yesterday that was, you know, really, really interesting. Um, I, I would say they they didn't get into super, um, super specific details about like what policy demands NAREP has, what what priorities NAREP um, has on specific GSE policies. Um, you know, obviously there are lots of issues before um, Freddie Mac and and before FHFA that um, that are very important for um, Latino home ownership, and and that's really like the priority of of NAREP. Um, you know, I think it's also really interesting um, that at a conference of this size in DC. Um, where, you know, Freddie Mac is there, FHFA is there, there's, there, there has been no representation on any of the panels from Fannie Mae. And I asked hmm. Nara, you know, why, why that, why that was the case, you know, did, was there, was this planned somehow? Like why, you know, obviously Fannie Mae is a really important part of the um, mortgage market and, you know, why, why would they not, not be here at this, um, at this premier conference? And, um, you know, the, the answer was it, it, it was not planned, but, um, but, but NAREP told me that there has been some difficulty getting, um, getting, getting someone to pick up the phone at Fannie Mae. Um, they, Fannie Mae, as as we know, has had quite a, an exodus, and a lot of NAREP's con- contacts at um, the enterprise are no longer there. Um, and so, I, I, I think I think it's really it's really interest interesting, um, you know, that that there would be um, you know turnover at Fannie Mae to the extent that it's it's difficult for the premier um, Hispanic real estate trade association to to get someone to show up at their conference. Still, I'm very surprised to hear that, Georgia. I mean, as you said, it's still in D.C., right? Fannie Mae's, you know, based in D.C., of course. It's, it's yeah. not like everybody left. You know, they didn't all go to uh, the IMBs that went public over the last year or mortgage tech startups. Like it's, you know, the the refrain has often been that Fannie Mae has a deep bench. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. What was kind of the tenor of the conversations? You know, it must have been something people attending the conference noticed. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I am, I'm not, I'm not sure if, if people were, were as focused on, on a detail like that. Um, it, it seemed surprising, um, surprising to me. Narep did say that, that Fannie Mae does plan to be at their, um, their next conference. So, um, you know, I think it just really speaks to how important relationships are and, you know, whether or not a bench is deep or, um, you know, obviously Fannie Mae is, is, is an enormous organization and, and they, and they have many, many, many people are, um, still there, but, um, you know, when when a lot of high level people with important relationships leave, it can be very disruptive. And I thought this was a good example of that and how it can play out. Yeah. On a related note, we, we know that the the FHFA in I believe it was September, they, they announced that they would be uh, rolling out the equitable housing finance plans for the GSEs, of course, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. We were still waiting on those plans. I don't remember seeing anything across my desk. Tell me, you know, what is the kind of the take from NAREP and and their uh, constituents on on what they expect to see and what they want to see? Right. So 
Yeah, the announcement on um, equitable housing finance plans was made in in September, and at the time, this was this was really big news. It was, um, you know, this was going going to be one of the ways that FHFA um, could uh, could could you know really um, really execute on um, some of the policy priorities of the current administration, right? Um, and those plans were planned to be in place January first. Um, and, and we, and we haven't seen them. So, so, um, FHFA at this point is, is, um, is probably tired of me asking, um, to, to see the plans each week, but, um, (laughs) but, um, it, it will be interesting to see what's in them. And I kind of wanted to get a sense from NAREP what, you know, what, what they're, what they're looking for, what they're hoping for and, and, um, you know, kind of how, by what rubric will they be grading the equitable housing finance plans when they come out through a lens of Latino homeownership? And, um, you know, not not super surprising that the um, top of or near the top of that list of priorities is um, is a look at, at pricing, you know, LLPAs. And um, and I think that's, you know, in the context of um you know, around the same time, last September, um, acting director Sandra Thompson said that that there would be a holistic review of GSE pricing, and some of that um, s- some of that review of pricing has has happened, but um, but but not on the um, you know the affordable end of the spectrum. And so I think there's there's the expectation um, from NAREP that 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 you know will happen. Um, they're um, they're very keenly attuned to. Um, you know, risk-based pricing means that um, that that people with lower credit scores and and um, higher debt-to-income ratio, like those, are, those are the, going to be the people for whom um, conventional financing is more expensive, and you know, therefore their execution is going to be um, is is going to be stronger through an FHA mortgage. But FHA mortgages have their own set of challenges, you know. So it's so so it's um, it's there are trade offs there. I mean, there there are already a lot of arguments made that the GSEs have largely left behind a huge segment of borrowers, and and those who are disproportionately affected by this are, are Black and Latino borrowers. You know, what what sort of efforts have lobbying groups like? Narab made to try to get the GSEs and the FHFA to start opening up that credit box a little bit. You know, we, we know that Fannie opened it up a tiny bit last year, um, but it's it's still disproportionately. It is it is um, a loan product that is for white middle and upper middle class borrowers. Yeah, the um, the the numbers really do speak for themselves, and you know you can you can see in the annual reports that. FHFA makes to Congress the the number of minority um, uh, minority loans from the GSEs is um, you know in, in some cases it leads the market a little bit um, but there is also the argument that it um, it defines the market um, and and is not just responding to it so you know the actions um, the um, the um, the decisions that the GSEs make. You know they are both responding to the market and and setting it. So um, so so it's it's definitely they're definitely in a unique position there. And um, you know I I I think that that NAREP is is um, 
very conscious of of past mistakes and they do not in any way want to want to um they're they are not advocating for um lowering the bar or loosening underwriting um uh criteria or 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 anything like that but i think there is this sense that the that that there is room to widen the credit window which is which is the the preferred way to um to describe you know um find find ways to um to to make policies that better capture the um the characteristics of borrowers and latinos have some really interesting characteristics that could work um in aggregate um uh, this is a generalization, of course, that could that could work in in their favor and better and and give um, the GSEs a better picture of their risk profile. For example, um, you know, Latino Latino households um, are more likely to be intergenerational, and um, you know, someone I was speaking with um, yesterday said that that it's um, the challenge of um, accurately um, Getting getting an accurate picture of all of the people in a household that can contribute income is um, you know is is really a stumbling block for Latino households because you will have multiple generations. Some of their their um, immigration status might might not be um, uh, might not allow them to to be formally on the loan, but they contribute. You know you have you have parents that um, that uh, that that have income. You, they live with their children. They they contribute to the household. They have extended family who also lives in the household contributing. And this is not, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a challenge to represent that in, um, in underwriting. Um, the way this person put it to me was people feel like they're a ghost. Soy un fantasma. Um, uh, I'm, I'm a ghost in, in terms of the, the GSE underwriting, um, underwriting policies. So, so it's, it's interesting to think about how, you know, something like that is kind of a clear example of, you know, n- the GSE is not taking on additional risk, but um, but capturing um, the realities of borrowers more accurately. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I see that there are two very compelling statistics on either end of the spectrum here when it relates to um, Latino borrowers. And, and the first is this this idea that Latino borrowers may make up 70 percent of, of the housing finance market, you know, in, in the upcoming decades. And then you look at the, the most seismic shift in housing wealth in in the last few years, and Hispanics really did not have incredible gains. Certainly not at the rate of of um, you know other groups. And you look at the numbers for you know the refis in twenty twenty, and I, I believe Hispanic or Latino borrowers made up like eight percent of Fannie Mae backed refinances, seven percent of Freddie Mac backed refinances. And, you know, non-Hispanic whites accounted for about two thirds of the agency refinancings. And so it's it pushes them to other loan products or it pushes them into the rental market. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about what you mentioned before, which is the FHA products. Right. This is this is really where a lot of these borrowers need to turn if they're going to be buying a house. And you already have the issues with, uh, you know, kind of qualifying uh, certain members of a household for numerous reasons, uh, but this is the product that they are probably going to have to rely on. And I talk to real estate agents, I talk to LOs, a lot of them are very frustrated 
with the fact that the FHA loan is simply not competitive in a lot of housing markets in this country. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that, Georgia? Yeah, I think this is a really tough market for um, for 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 weak uh, weak buyers, right? And FHA borrowers are often viewed as a weak buyer. Whether or not that is actually the case, I think is um, you know depends on your perspective, and that's that's up for debate, right? But um, you know there is at least the perception that FHA loans take longer to close, that, you know, that FHA borrowers, because they, um, they may have lower uh, down payments, will have less skin in the game and sellers are, um, you know, reluctant to, um, to accept those offers. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if, if that's the case. There's, there's also, you know, questions over um, uh Appraisals, I, I, you know, I, I think there there are a number of lenses to to look at that um, from, but um, but yeah, certainly Latino borrowers, I think I think they're they're twice as likely to be um, to to have an FHA loan than a than a conventional loan, and and um, and really the reality is right now because um, you're still seeing multiple offers, um, you're still seeing bidding wars, and you know, these these um, people are not competing just against those with conventional financing, but they're also competing against um, institutional buyers, cash buyers, um, you know, that 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 are able to um, waive contingencies, waive appraisals, um, you know, and, and it's hard for any any buyer to um, compete with that, let alone a buyer that, that has this added drag of, of perceptions that FHA financing is, is somehow inferior to um, conventional financing. Let's talk a little bit more about the FHA as an agency and some of the, the issues that it is arguably confronting, maybe not confronting. Uh, we, we know that the, the omnibus, uh, the House approved omnibus spending bill includes $431 million dollars for FHA payroll and expenses, which is about $30 million more dollars than the agency received last year. And we know that they're interested in hiring additional staffers to help uh, you know, the, the agency perform the tasks that they are, they're required to perform. Um, but I, I think there, there's a lot of skepticism that uh, just adding a few more bodies is going to, to, to get the FHA where it needs to be. George, could you elaborate a little bit more on some of the reporting that Housing Lawyers Newsroom has done around FHA staffing issues and um, and and really what we can look toward next? Yeah, my colleague Maria Volkova had a story on this. Um, you know, the the budget issues and the um, and the staffing challenges at HUD and and FHA, which is you know which is more our, of our focus have have been brewing for a really long time there have been annual um you know inspector general reports about um staffing shortages for at least a decade um it's been a problem since since the 90s and probably and and probably before that if we if we really looked at the numbers so that so it's not a it's not a new problem but it's but it's kind of reached a reached a, a a crisis level, I would say, um, at least if you're if you're looking at at um, you know some of the concerns raised by the inspector general, it's like it it is it is at this point threatening their ability to carry out their mission, and um, you know I I had heard 
from um, former HUD officials that um, that that staffing at HUD is is really is is really one of the should should be one of the top priorities, and um, they hoped that um, HUD Secretary Marsha Fudge would be an effective um, advocate for the agency um, um, with the current administration, asking for more resources um, specifically for um, for staffing. And it looks and it looks like she's um, she's accomplished that. I mean, they they got basically all of the budget um, they requested for um, uh, for for staffing at, at FHA. Um, and, um, you know, so so it remains to be seen if they're able to kind of turn the ship around to give you a sense of how dire it is. Um, you know, there's there's just a huge wave of imminent retirements. Um, there's all this, there is, and, and, and that would be just a huge loss of institutional expertise. There's, you know, naturally kind of waves of, there are like cohorts that come into federal agencies, you know, people that, that, that come in, in together and that are very energized and, and, and spend in some cases decades there. And, um, you know, if you were to, to lose all of the employees at HUD FHA that are at, um, retirement age um, right now that would be that would be pretty catastrophic. So, and then you also have the the dual issue of a lot of existing employees who are not at retirement age are looking toward greener pastures, right, where they can get better pay and and you know maybe fewer complications or a more streamlined process. I, I know that Maria reported a bunch of people go to the FHFA or Fannie Mae or yeah. you know it's 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 right right. It seems like there was a challenge not in just recruiting but in retaining staff. Yeah, and and there uh, and there's competition for where these where you know highly qualified um, housing experts can go. Not only in the federal government, you know they they could go to FHFA, they could go to CFPB. Um, these places have different pay scales. You know they could they could also go to um, government sponsored enterprises, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Um, you know, there there are other places that they um, could go in the federal government, and that often happens. You know, you can kind of look at um, look at the traje- trajectory of ex FHA officials, and you know, see see how they move from agency to agency, and and you know, think about about why they may make those um, those moves. But but you, you know, in addition to competing with other agencies. Um, you know, not they. They also they also have to compete with um, with people going to the private sector, and there are certainly um, lots of positions in the private sector where someone with with um, expertise, especially now with um, with heightened scrutiny um, and you know, kind of a kind of a renewed emphasis on um, regulation. There are many many places in in the in the private sector where um, where people with with that specific expertise would would be really um, sought after. Hmm. And what's interesting to me about all of this is that FHA itself is actually a moneymaker. You know, like it is it is not um, in, in theory uh, it, it should not be in the position that it's in. Is there is there a will to change the structure where the FHA could keep some of the money that they've actually made for the government instead of having it you know really be specifically allocated by Congress every year? Right. So it's so it's kind of almost unfair um, that this is the way it is. Of course, um, you know, FHA within HUD depends on congressional appropriations, and that's a really complicated process. 
Um, and there, there are a lot of checks and balances, which which means that, uh, you know, I'm sure it was a knockdown drag out fight to get the resources that um, that HUD got for FHA in this budget, um, you know, because because there are just many many priorities in the federal government and um, housing is, is one of them, even though for us, it, it seems like, like it, it should be always front and center. It, it, it is not always front and center um, in the federal government. Right. And, uh, you know, so having to submit itself to that process is really challenging if you're looking at it from a question of governance. And yes, it does make money. And, you know, unlike other, like, it's basically an insurance corporation. It's basically, you know, someone was telling me the other day, it's basically the largest insurance corporation in the world. And it, and yet for its budget, it depends on, you know, not, not the money it brings in, but congressional appropriations. There have been, um, there have been proposals to run it more like, a government sponsored enterprise with, you know, have it be a private entity with a government charter. Um, certainly there are other models, um, but, you know, something like that would not be able to happen without, um, without congressional approval, which means it, it would take a lot of political will. It's not, it's not right. something that's on the, um, you know, the front, the front burner. It doesn't seem like anyone wants to gear up for a fight that big. Yeah, I think to, to radically reshape. Yeah, there's, there's just how government agencies. Yeah, like them. I think of it like there's just political bandwidth within administrations and they have to choose priorities and choose fights. And, and, I, and I don't think anyone wants to choose that that fight right now. But there, but there has been a proposal to do that. Um, um, Housing Policy Council, which represents leading lenders, um, and, and many, many of them who are um, very, very active in FHA um, has has um, has floated floated that idea. But I don't I don't think there's the political will to do that right now. So let's talk a little bit more about the agency itself and, and these political uh, winds that are swirling. We know that Julia Gordon, her nomination has been held up. And and there are there's there's sort of um, you know a, a bigger issue related to President Biden's uh, nominees not not getting through because of Republican uh, disapproval and and some Democrats as well, um, but there have been some pretty big shifts of late. Can you tell us the latest on on the likelihood that Julia Gordon will eventually be confirmed and 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 where are we in this process of having the FHA really have a, a leader, which people desperately or say that they desperately need? Yeah, so so arguably, like the biggest staffing problem at FHA is right at the top, the vacuum at at, at the top, and that and and you know not not having a Senate confirmed commissioner, I think, is really challenging because then who do you have to execute the policy priorities of the administration without, you know, without, without the leader that the, the executor that they, that they put in place, right? It would be, you know, if, if you liken it to a publicly traded company, it would be like, you know, a CEO not being able to choose their um, senior vice presidents without approval, full approval of the board each time, you know, 
um, except in this case, like it's Congress and um, and nominations have become incredibly political. And um, and there's something like 1,400 nominations that they that they need to approve with each new administration, and it's just a slog. It, it takes up time, and it's and it's you know really 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 difficult to um, to get people confirmed. So so today Wednesday there may be some movement on some other nominees. I do not believe um, Julia Gordon's confer- confirmation, but the slate of um, Fed nominees, including um, FHFA acting director Sandra Thompson, yeah, Jerome Powell, Lyle Brainerd, um, vice chair, um, who's nominated vice chair um, of the Fed. Um, I, I heard from, from sources that there, that there may be movement um, later this afternoon or this evening on those. It looks like the Senate has some voice votes scheduled. Um, so, so there, there might be more news on, on that, but, um, you know, and, cer- and certainly those nominees are less controversial than Sarah Bloom Raskin, for example, who it, it, uh, it looks like withdrew her um, nomination, you know, after opposition from Joe Manchin. So um, it has become really political and the, and it, but it, 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 it just is, is now it's a, it's a question of governance. It's like, how do you make decisions at these agencies without the people in place to um, to, to follow through on on policy? Yeah, and, and Julia Gordon's confirmation is not without controversy either. You know, it's it's not like Jerome Powell, who I, I think is generally seen by both Democrats and Republicans as someone that they expect and, and need to have in in place. But you know, she made a controversial comment over the summer about uh, the nation's policing, and um, and it seems that. Senator Patrick Toomey is is very much against uh, bringing Julia Gordon into the FHA. So, you know, do we know a little bit more about her prospects now that Sarah Bloom Raskin has dropped out? Does, does this? I have to think this at least improves her prospects. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Um, I I think that's a that's a fair question. Um, I don't. I don't know. I think at this point it is still a stalemate on um, Julia Gordon. But um, you know, as time goes on, there might be there might be a point of no return where after that after after that point, you know, a, a Senate confirmed commissioner would not be able to accomplish even the bare minimum things that they that they need to get done you know an administration is only four years if you don't get your leader in place until after a year and a half in the process then you know what's what's the what's the point maybe it's time to look for someone else at that point yeah yeah and i haven't heard anything on that but um but but um but i will remain i will remain uh I'll, i'll keep my ear to the ground on that well thank you so much georgia really appreciated being with me here today and then filling us in on on what's going on in D.C. and housing policy issues. Uh, That's going to do it for us. Make sure to to check out all of our good reporting and and, uh, we will see you next time on Housing Wire Daily. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. 
With your HOU Plus membership, you'll get at least five HOU Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingwarrant.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.